What's up, guys? It's Monday. That means it's time for some key takeaways here on the Collective Podcast feed at Campus to Canton. Before we jump in, as always, thank you guys for everything that you do for your support as we continue to try to grow uh, this format um, and, quite frankly, this uh, this group, this company. I think uh, you guys are a big part of us doing that. There is a lot to talk about this week, but I think and this, I mean, it, it was a great slate of games, but I think the, the two things that I really want to focus the most on this week are waivers, because I think we're starting to get to a point in the season where there's, you might not have all your waivers. If, if it's limited, you're trying to figure out what, what do I need to do with those? Um, how should I be spending them? You don't want to waste any of them, especially if your team's a contender. Uh, that bench can get real thin real quick, so you're, you're not going to want to miss on some of these guys. And there are some really interesting names this week. So that's going to be a big focus. The other part, a large portion of this article, I guess, and I I actually kind of sat down to write like four paragraphs and it legit, I think, turned into on uh, Word as I was writing it, six pages. Um, Double spaced, of course. I'm not not going to kill you guys. Um, With who's the quarterback three in this class? Because I think we're starting to get enough data this year. Teams are starting to play more difficult opposition, not just playing kind of their cupcake schedule. So we are starting to get a little more of an idea of what these guys are are looking like. They're starting to put together a fuller body of work here. And for some of these guys, it's their obvious last season in college. So we can start, I think, predicting, projecting a little bit about who uh, that guy behind Caleb Williams and Drake May will be. But we start, like we always do, with target leaders on the week. And this week, guys, in the article, actually... Not only did I add a column to the uh, table that will be then moving forward, uh, but I also did take a look just at overall season leaders. And I think uh, I might keep both of those tables, or you know, that column and that that additional table in there moving forward, just to give you guys an idea of some trends, and then um, you know just kind of highlighting, you know, knowing who's leading on a week to week basis is really really nice. But now that we have again four weeks data. Uh, it's good to kind of look and, and look at the bigger picture, step back and say, you know, or is there a name on here that maybe isn't continuously, it, it, you know, they're getting 10, 11 targets a week. So they're not quite uh, hitting those peaks to show up, but they are, uh, you know, consistent uh, performers from a target perspective. So uh, Lejante Wester was on here again. I highlight him in the article. I don't want to go too far into him because I've talked about him a lot on this show, but I think I was worried about him losing his quarterback, Casey Thompson done for the year, Daniel Richardson, I don't know if I talked about it on here last week or if we talked about it on Campus Life, where uh, so Daniel Richardson's one of those quarterbacks that he's like borderline, like so bad that he can't make an offense work or bad enough that he just focuses on like one guy and that guy has bonkers receiving uh, numbers moving forward. And it looks like that could be the case. I think Wester is easily the biggest buy in, uh, in terms of like buying CFF production right now. Because I just think he's not a sexy name. Like people aren't really paying attention to Lejante Wester. They are paying attention to Jamari Thrash. They know uh, Jacob Cowing. They know Tory Horton, Malachi Quarterly. But but Wester is a guy you never really hear talked about in that category. Um, he's he's had forty nine targets over his last three games. Had sixteen this week. Thirty thirty percent or more of their target share, I believe, every week this season are pretty close to it. So. Wester is just you know plug and play, not taking him out of your lineups. I risked him pretty much everywhere this week. Just like you know, I, I don't know if I have a better option. We'll roll him out there, uh, and that worked out really well. And I think that'll be uh, it moving forward. Uh, some 
other names that I think we normally expect to see on here, Luke McCaffrey had 15 this week. A little worried. We'll see what happens with JT Daniels, who did leave this game early. And I do talk about that a little bit in the injury section, uh, of which there were, again, quite a few this week. Malachi Corley on the list. Uh, Malik Washington from Virginia now has 27 targets in his past two games. Seems like he's uh, Anthony Calandria's favorite target there. Big waiver option. Talk about him here. Just a couple of minutes. Uh, Xavier Weaver's on the list again. Malik Neighbors is on the list again. Um, you know, a lot of a lot of names that you Terrell Vaughn's on here again. Um, Smoke Harris is on here again. Um, some new names, Elijah Badger for Arizona State got 13 targets this week. Pretty interesting. First kind of big volume week for him. Elijah Metcalf, a name that I'm not terribly familiar with at Middle Tennessee, 13 targets this week, but has 22 in his last three games. So this Seems like a bit of an outlier week for me, but certainly uh, one to kind of watch. And if we see another kind of week out of him, uh, maybe we make a move there. Um, uh, Jaquan Burton, the other FAU wide receiver, actually also got 13 targets this week. So, you know, can they support two guys? That would be pretty cool, too. And Burton can end up being uh, a sneaky guy down the stretch. Um, so I, I think those are kind of the names that I really wanted to highlight on here. The other big one, though, we have our first non-receiver that made the list, and it's Isaac Rex at BYU. Now, Rex is actually been pretty dang good this year. Um, I was a little skeptical. He he had like kind of a good year a few years ago, then had some really weird injuries. Um, I think he came back at the beginning of last season, but like you could tell, was still kind of recovering, wasn't there um, with, I, th I think it was a leg injury that he had suffered the season prior. It's either leg or shoulder. Um, but he's got 17 catches on the year. He's got 260 yards one touchdown um four more receptions and all but their opening game which i think you know the, the offense was still kind of figuring itself out so i think this is a he's a really interesting guy if you need some lower uh you know not um lower valued tight end production uh he might be rostered in leagues if your league's been around a while because he was a, a fairly hot name a couple years ago um but he's he's definitely an interesting guy there i think you know he won't get 13 targets every week but uh I think if he can be a consistent target guy moving forward, that's a great thing for a, a tight end that maybe is is a little too cheap right now. So go out and, and get yourself some wrecks if you're uh, hurting a tight end. Um, and like I said, I did put just the overall target leaders on here so far this year, and I do just want to read through those real quick. I think it's almost exactly who you'd expect. Malachi Corley would probably be on this list too if he hadn't missed a game and a half or so. Um, but Lejante Wester uh, is number one, 58 targets on the year. Terrell Vaughn at Utah State, we've talked about him a lot. Don't need to talk about him. He's second with 52. Well, Shepard of Vanderbilt has 48 targets, um, but he has, if you see the other names on the list, definitely not done as much with his targets. They tend to be a little deeper, so they're kind of higher value, but um, he you know, can't exactly expect consistency on a week-to-week -week basis, and Vanderbilt now enters their SEC schedule. So Shepard's a really good guy if you're looking for September production, uh, and then you, if you have a Will Shepard, you're hoping to have a room full of uh, max skill guys too because once the calendar turns uh shepherd definitely takes a downturn or at least has in years past uh Feli ashlock at hawaii is fourth in total targets with 46 eric brooks fresno state another one hashtag my guys has 45 so does xavier weaver and malik neighbors uh, smoke harris at louisiana tech has 43 joshua cephas at utsa has 42 malik washington really he's only had those two big weeks but he sneaks in here because they are big big weeks uh, 10th in the country with 41 targets and then tied for 11th. I was going to go to 12. Um, just give you your, your, you know, wide receiver ones, Luther Burden, Tory Horton, and Matthew Golden 
all have 40 targets. So I think a lot of names that we did expect on there. I think, you know, the the ones that really came out of nowhere, Ashlock, Brooks, Washington, I think the rest were at least on your radar and were probably rostered uh, across your league. So uh, interesting group there. Uh, and I think, you know, you know, it goes without saying, but go buy one of them if, if they're hanging around out there for cheap because I think uh, that kind of, of volume at this point in the season, we're pretty sure we know what we're going to get. Uh, freshman snap counts this week. Uh, I think this is the last week I'm going to put the freshman quarterbacks on here because they're just, I mean, I want to highlight some other guys on here and it just, I, I have limited time here. I can't just keep extending the list with, with all these different things uh, and still enjoy uh, any semblance of a normal weekend. Uh, Dante Moore, Anthony Calandria, both played hundred percent of snaps there. You know, they've been there. Uh, Keon Jenkins almost did. So, you know, the other guy that's kind of been on this list every week. Jalen Rayner, though, this week is the new one. I talk about him a lot in waivers here in just a minute, uh, but started for Arkansas State, played every snap, uh, a lot of rush upside, um, not a great passer, but not awful. Um, and as with a lot of these uh, kind of dual threat guys, the more confident he gets, uh, you know, they start, you, you start off at 52% completion percentage, and maybe, they, maybe they're never going to be a 70% guy, but if they can get up to 58, 60, 62%, uh, not bad there. Um, Luke Haas, uh, uh, kind of a coming out party there for him. Had a really nice week. I believe, uh, spoiler alert, he's going to be our freshman of the week this week. Um, he might actually end up being the leading wide receiver, uh, on Arkansas when all is said and done this season. Um, because they don't have a ton of other stuff outside of, uh, Adam Armstrong there uh, this week, uh, six catches, 116 yards, two touchdowns against LSU. Really, really nice showing. And he hasn't been bad the rest of the season either. Last week had four for 78 and one, um, three for 26, two for 19 the first two weeks. So I think he's getting a little more comfortable. It'll be interesting because he's, he's listed as six, three, two 42. So a little bit undersized what the NFL future look like. Um, tough to say, but he definitely is a pretty good mover. Um, a really, really interesting player there. So, uh, Luke Haas, um, if he's available on waivers, I definitely think he's worth going and snagging. Um, some other names on there, Darius Taylor, LJ Martin, the two running backs, Minnesota, BYU, respectively. I um, think they're going to probably be on this list pretty much every week as long as they're healthy moving forward. They have solidified their backfields. They they own them. Uh, Kevin Concepcion from NC State had a nice uh, long touchdown in this game. I'm still like a little skeptical on him in terms of like what level of talent is he? But it's, I think it's clear at this point that he's probably going to be the wide receiver one for NC State rest of season. Um, and so I think that could be worth picking up, especially if Robert and A stays there, Robert and I. Um, and they do have, in my opinion, a competent guy behind Brendan Armstrong for next year and MJ Morris. So can probably still expect uh, some volume, some value there uh, after this year, even when Armstrong is gone. I'm actually going to skip over the volume as King, guys, if you guys want to go look. Um, at who ran the most plays this week offensively. Go ahead. I don't think it was a particularly telling week overall. I mean, Penn State ran almost 100 plays um, and because I was just so inept. Uh, so I'm going to skip that uh, part for this show here. What I do want to get into is waiver wire ads. And I actually have uh, a lot, a lot of names on here. I think... I have a hard time remembering any seasons in the past where we've had so many um, potentially high-end quarterback starters floating on waivers. 
And if there was, I definitely can't remember a season where all of them are so young that they probably have like two, three, four seasons left in what should be pretty good systems. Again, that can all change year to year. I don't necessarily always like projecting. I've, I've talked about this before that I almost play the CFF side of things on a, as like a redraft essentially yearly, just because I think sometimes it's, it's really, really tough outside of a, a couple of guys to uh, expect uh, consistent year over year production. But I, I, there, there's a lot of really fun names floating around out there. Zion, Chris, uh, Louisiana Lafayette, uh, track star, just, you know, dynamic athlete had another nice week, uh, here, uh, this past week, Keon Jenkins at FIU. I mean, he, that, that job's his, he's been pretty darn good this year overall. Thomas Castellanos had himself another nice week for Boston college. Still not a great passer. And honestly, of kind of the young group might be the worst passer of the group. Um, but it might not matter because Boston college, like what else is Boston college going to do? Um, Braden Fowler, Nicolosi at Colorado state. I talked about this last week on here on campus life on, on probably, I think on Debbie debate too. We were waiting for this offense to find their quarterback so they could go back to running a ton of plays, playing at tempo, throwing the ball at 60 plus percent neutral game pass script. Uh, and it sounds like, uh, Fowler Nicolosi is going to be that guy. Um, I think that benefits, you know, I think he could be a startable option option from week to week. And even with very little rushing upside, depending on what the rest of your quarterback situation is. And um, I think it really, uh, all the wide receivers there can rebound now. Holker um, at tight end as well, but then Horton, uh, Justice Ross Simmons. Um, uh, oh man, Brown, I think the other the third guy there um, didn't uh, had, a, had a quiet week this week, but had a nice week the week before that. So I, I think all those guys are really interesting. And if you have quarterback issues, I think you can do a lot worse than those guys. And again, you probably can get multiple years out of them. And then the new guy this week is Arkansas State true freshman Jalen Rayner. Uh, first start of his career, he got some uh, action last week as well. Uh, 233 yards passing, three touchdowns, 100 rush yards, and two rush touchdowns. I, I, I like some of these dual threat guys at these little small programs because they're not going to replace them unless they're just like st- stink moving forward. Like they, They're not going to find another option better than some of these guys. So uh, I think that job is Rainers for rest of season. Um, I think he could be a really exciting guy. Arkansas state schedule, very, very soft. Um, definitely go get him, go get him. Uh, if he's hanging around out there running back, I actually have three running backs. I like this week. And if you're hurting at running back, like some of my teams are, it seems like a, a bit of a thinner year. Uh, some options, the guy that I think is most interesting because it's a little bit of a balance of long-term play, uh, short-term, prob- probably not as successful as the other guys, but still could be, uh, is true freshman Parker Jenkins, who's at Houston, who played about 55% of their snaps this week. Um, he, We talked about him this offseason. He was in the freshman guide. We said he's kind of you know one of those deep stash players that... Uh, you you know you if you're if you have four or five teams maybe you you have him on one two and then on another league you would take Darius Taylor or um, the uh, uh, kid going to Kentucky from blanking on his name right now or you know just kind of mix and match some of these lower tier running backs we talked about doing that a lot um, but I think Jenkins went undrafted in almost all of my leagues um, he has according to our database uh, his, his uh, speed percentile is uh in the 98th percentile and just super 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 fast 
at almost 200 pounds. Uh, Houston doesn't have, in my opinion, like a stud running back there. So I, you know, I, is it out of the realm of possibility that he ends up kind of being the third true freshman running back to take a job this year? No, I definitely think that it's possible. Um, this is kind of a preemptive strike. You know, I don't think a lot of teams in your league are going to be going for Parker Jenkins this week, but I, I like him. And if you go and look at his athletic comparisons on uh, our website with the athletic comparison tool, CJ Spillers, his second one, Roman Hemby's on there. Um, Nathaniel Frazier, who's the five-star top running back, uh, depending on where you look in next year's class, going to Georgia. Jeremiah Love is on there. Like these are all guys that are really, really athletic. Like we talked about it all the time. Um, for for love for sure. We we talked about him a lot this offseason and we'll talk about Frazier more over the coming months. So uh a, a, just a fun player that I think has some good comps. Uh the the speed score uh is really, really nice. Um, you know, the burst, we don't have a good score on him at all, and then agility is like average. So um he ends up being like a just below 70th percentile athlete. Um, but he's I, I'm I'm all in there. All in, probably not the best uh, phrase there. I'm not. If if I have waiver pickups to spare, I think he's definitely a guy that I'm interested in this week. I have a couple unlimited waiver leagues. I'll definitely be adding him uh, in those. Um, a couple other running backs that are probably a little more short-term plays, both play in the Mac and with Mac and rolling around here. Like you just go and look at their schedules. They're, they're so weak down the stretch. That's how you get. Uh, Lou Nichols type uh, hero uh, type seasons that he had a couple years ago there playing at Central Michigan. Uh, Jalen Buckley at W uh, Western Michigan talked about him after week one where Western Western Michigan ran like 90 something plays. He had 30 carries for like 190 something yards. And we were like, whoa, where have never even heard of this dude. Like, where'd he come from? I think we talked about it on a couple shows just saying, you know, we I would like to see a little bit more. I don't know that we can count on Western Michigan running 30 plays. They had one running back go down before the game and another go down in the game. So like if those guys got healthy because it didn't sound like they were season ending, like what would we do with Buckley? But it, he got 20 carries or close to it again this weekend, uh, or not 29 carries this weekend, 160 yards, two touchdowns against Toledo. Um, you know, the two bad games that he had this year, Syracuse, Iowa, not going to see those kind of teams anymore. So I think I'm finally kind of in on, on the Buckley train, especially if I need a running back. Um, and then Penny Boone, who was actually on the opposite side of this game for Toledo. Um, you might remember his name if you've been around the C2C CFF circles for a long time. Uh, started his career at Maryland. He's just like a big behemoth of a back. Um, and he it moves pretty well. Um, just a really, really interesting uh, player overall, uh, didn't really make it at Maryland, went to Toledo and then like just totally disappeared off the face of the earth. Um, I, uh, try every off season or at the beginning of the season, kind of, uh, go through all of our rankings, like literally break down every single person's list individually and just pick out some names, like some, maybe somebody missed taking somebody out of their rankings who, uh, graduated or, um, you know, player that they really really like two years ago like they have never like they've transferred twice and now they, they've not adequately kind of adjusted for this guy who's probably worth nothing now and felix had penny boone really high i was not like you know like i think low hundreds and i was like 
hey, like I put him on the list, his list. I was like, hey, you might want to look at Penny Boone. Like he hasn't really done anything in years. And then Boone, of course, over the past couple games has been really, really good. 24 carries, uh, 211 yards and two touchdowns this week. Uh, basically seeing an increase in carries uh, every week, week one, week two, where you know, if you kind of invert them, they were they were close. Um, but but that's been that's been building. Finishes the year with Eastern Michigan, Bowling Green, and Central Michigan. So I think he these are the kind of guys where I think they're not going to be like this sexy name. You know, you'd rather start the USC like the USC running back is sexier to put in the starting lineup or. Uh, you know, in the Miami running back or something like that. But realistically, these are the kind of guys in weeks 9, 10, 11, 12 that can kind of win you some matchups. Um, so Penny Boone, Jalen Buckley, uh, two guys that, that are going to probably be bigger for you short ter- short term. Uh, Jenkins probably has some longer uh, term upside uh, there for you. But depending on what you're prioritizing, uh, you can kind of go one way or the other there. Um, honestly, if you can get one of Boone or Buckley and Jenkins this week, if it's not like, you know, a four waiver situation and you have one or two left, I would definitely uh, consider that. Uh, Malik Washington is really the only receiver that I still see hanging around uh, in a lot of leagues that I think is interesting. So um, obviously after 27 targets the past two weeks, I think he's a must add. Uh, Calandry just really, really likes him. I watched that game uh, this weekend. I watched uh, their most of that game against Maryland the, the, the week prior. Um, and he's, he's, he just focuses in on Washington. So um, I, I think he's, he's a guy that could uh, deliver some wide receiver one upside rest of the season uh, injuries. We had a lot of them this week. And I think this is kind of what's going to make uh, waivers uh, so important this week. Cause you might be replacing uh, for one week, for two weeks, for, for several weeks. Um, uh, uh, one of these guys, Lincoln Victor, Went down. Didn't seem like a big deal at the time, but apparently he has like a high ankle sprain is the rumor. So, you know, four weeks, six weeks, I don't really know, but that takes you to week eight, nine, ten. I mean, not not feeling too great about that overall. So I think if I have Victor, I'm treating him, if the, the high ankle sprain rumor is true, I'm treating him as if he's done for the year. It doesn't mean he can't come back, but I just, you know, in terms of how I need to prepare my team for the next stretch, if I'm a contender, um, I'm treating Victor as if he's done for the season. And if I was a contender with very limited depth and I just lost Lincoln Victor, I'd be looking to either acquire, uh, somebody else to replace him or to, if, you know, kind of that's, you know, you've got a bunch of injuries and that's kind of like the, the straw that broke the camel's back. Uh, you can maybe start selling off some other pieces, but I, I, that's how I think you need to treat some of these guys. It's such a short season. It's not like the NFL where, you know, in a high ankle sprint, you can get a guy back in week 10 and he's still awesome for you down the stretch. Like, it's just, it, it's tough to to have that kind of stuff happen here in college with the the condensed Jordan schedule. JT Daniels at Rice went down this week. Um, stop me if you've heard that story before. Um, I don't know how serious it is. He didn't come back, but I am cautiously watching Luke McCaffrey um, because he has really over the past few weeks been getting a ton of targets. Uh, out of uh, JT Daniels, he's actually gotten. Let's see here, I actually have it uh, in the article this week. Uh, McCaffrey's gotten 31 targets the past uh, three games, so he's he's averaged double digits. So um, you know, been been pretty uh, productive there with those chances. Um, and honestly, quite frankly, Daniels hasn't been bad for fantasy either. I think I started him in, in a spot or two last week, um, just with some some injuries or, or tougher matchups. So. 
Um, bummer for those guys. We'll see if, if Rice can get him back. Tyler Shuck, uh, season-ending fractured fibula. Um, tried to tough it out for a play. Um, so, I mean, good for him. It's it's always a tough balance when you talk about some of these guys like Shuck, who I think we have for years uh, said we we haven't thought as much of him as maybe some others have. We said Baron Morton, in our opinion, is 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 clearly a better player. Um, no matter what, the staff just always goes back to Shuck, even though Morton is good when he plays. Like he, I don't know if he's just terrible in practice. I, I really don't understand. Um, so tough to kind of balance all those things, and and you know you want to be considerate and sensitive to shock who's a human being who has now just had like bizarre bad injury history over the past few years um but i'm really hoping that this is just the end of of his time at texas tech as the starter you know maybe he can go somewhere else i think i don't think he has eligibility left but this was the fourth game so maybe he'll apply for a medical red shirt hard to believe he wouldn't get it. I, I, I don't know. Um, but I'm really hoping that Morton can go out there, just play really well, keep this offense moving, um, and and finally take over this job. Because again, I have I have him stashed a lot of plates. I think he's a good player, like just straight up. Uh, I think it's a good opportunity for Morton. I think we'll see what happens with guys like Jaron Bradley, Miles Price, um, the guy whose name is escaping me, who they brought up from the FCS level this year has really done nothing. Dre McCray. Um We'll see, you know, maybe he gets more involved. Uh, I don't really know, but um going to be interesting to see what that offense, it, where the targets are kind of uh, shifting around there uh, with the new quarterback. Antonio Williams missed the Clemson game. I wasn't aware that this was a issue, um, but apparently it was. Uh, Dabo said day to day was in a boot before the game. So that could mean, you know, one, maybe one more game, maybe, maybe a couple. Uh, we shall see. Um, in his absence, true freshman Tyler Brown played his slot role and was very effective, led the team in receiving. So, uh, Dabo did say after the game that he is going to need to find ways to get both on the field. And I don't think that should be too terribly hard because none of the other receivers there have been very good this year. I think, um, his emergence could spell the end for guys like Adam Randall, who was not particularly good in this game. Uh, Bo Collins, who um, I think he'll kind of be the third guy. I think it'll be Brown, Simpson, Collins, if I had to guess, especially with some of the other injuries they have there. And then Brenning Stoll, who has chipped in uh, a couple of catches a week here. I think that's probably going to be their group. Um, big takeaway, though, out of this one, like we got to see Tyler Brown in, in, in a full role, and he looked really, really good. So unlimited waivers or your team's just set. You don't have any CFF moves you need to make. Brown, uh, certainly a really fun uh stash option there connor wegman left did not come back i think ankle injury is what i've read um i i've heard differing rumors on severity i don't want to speculate so i'm not going to um but i have to assume again this is a guy that i'm going to act as if he's out for the rest of the season could come back that's just what i'm acting as uh i think this kind of hurts the growth of some of the young weapons there i think stewart evan stewart is still uh must start every week um, even in this one, uh, lower targets, um, but still got, uh, what, like three for 50 and a touchdown or something like that. Um, I think that's kind of like the floor to expect out of him moving forward. So I, I'm still starting him, but bummer for Wegman, who I think has been overall pretty good so far this year and kind of lived up to the, uh, expectations that the recruiting services had that we had that Texas A&M fans had, 
Um, just, just having a really good season there. Um, a lot of other names that I just can't fit into one article. Like if you guys seriously understood how long this thing takes me to write every week, uh, I just can't, can't research everything. Daquan Finn got hurt, shoulder injury, carted off. Um, again, another guy that I'm presuming is done for the season, but we'll see. Uh, at least that's how I'm planning. That's how I'm planning that he's out for the rest of the season. Marvin Harrison Jr. left the game, returned. So did Luther Burden the third. Um, guys, you know, sometimes you see these guys uh, look like ankle for Harrison. I didn't see exactly what it was for Burden. Um, you you kind of roll that ankle or, or sprain it. Uh, someone who's who's done this multiple times, you tape it up. You're you're good to go rest of the game. It's you know hurts a little bit, but it's it's not bad. And then Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday come, and your ankle's huge, and it doesn't even fit in your your uh, your shoe, your cleat, whatever you're wearing. And um, you know the 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 adrenaline kind of wears off, and uh, it's just stiff and painful and and no fun. So monitor some of those guys. I think Ohio State has a bye this week, if I remember correctly. So might not matter too much for Harrison. Don't 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 check me on that. Um, but but I would just be paying attention to to news conferences, practice reports over the next couple of weeks to see what their statuses are. Um, I talk about some one Bs that I like to buy. I think this is kind of my favorite buying strategy at this point in the year. Like, yeah, I think by now most in most leagues, I don't want to presume about everybody's league, but I know in most of my leagues, um, this is kind of the time of year, which is where everyone kind of starts, uh, realizing if they're a contender or not. And then the CFF assets kind of start changing hands, which is why I tell you guys to do this week one week two, because you probably got in on the ground floor and, and had, uh, a lot less competition to go by, but I digress. Um, so this kind of the time of the year, I think where I'm more interested if my, if I'm in kind of an active league where everyone's, where, you know, trying to kind of, uh, consolidate assets and, uh, get their, their, their roster set for a push. Uh, I like going for kind of the one B in good offenses. I think it can be a cheaper route to, into good offenses. And you still probably get like at minimum, there's like seven or eight weeks left of the season. You probably get at least two where the one B guy like has a huge spike and, and crushes the one the a, you might get a few others as well. And they're uh, they, they, you know, they generally finish within a handful of points of each other. The 1B tends to be the slot or underneath guy. He's a little smaller, is not getting necessarily as many high-value targets downfield in the red zone, but they're getting potentially more targets. They're just, you know, six, seven, eight-yard-type chunks of plays, you know, 10, 15 yards. So uh, I highlighted a few offenses in the article that I think are really interesting. If you guys are, are wondering about some other ones, um, let me know. I, I didn't specifically talk about Western Kentucky because I'm not sure what injury timelines are there, but I think that's an inter an interesting offense that I didn't uh, really touch on. I actually think for uh, Washington, Jalen McMillan's a lot cheaper than Roma Dunze. So if you're, you know, you're trying to do a, a more expensive approach to that, um, then, then you can uh, maybe go after him. Um, but the names that I highlight in the article, uh, Caleb Hood, I, I prefer him to Durban Burgess for Georgia Southern. If I can get him uh, 23, uh, he's had three straight double digit target performances. In that time frame, 23 catches, 243 yards, two touchdowns. So, you know, not not averaging a ton, you know, 10-ish yards per, per reception, two touchdowns, but he gets a, a ton of targets underneath. Jacob Cowing actually is a guy that I think the shine has worn off, but he had, I, I'm partially due to Ted McMillan. Like, Ted's just really, really good, and that he didn't have a great 
uh, stretch down the, the to the end of the season last year. But Cowing actually has more targets, more receptions, and the same amount of touchdowns as McMillan. Now McMillan has like 150 more yards because his targets are just more valuable, like in terms of downfield. But that's why Tim McMillan is going to cost you a lot. Jacob Cowing, especially if he's on a team that maybe isn't doing so well, probably is not. And with his last year of eligibility, probably factor that in too. So Cowing, a guy that I'm buying. Colorado, Jimmy Horn Jr. I have bought Xavier uh, Weaver in a couple places, and I haven't bought Horn yet um, just because I, I found some spots where Weaver I thought was not priced appropriately. So I did I did make that jump. But if I if I hadn't been able to get him, I'd probably be interested in getting some more Jimmy Horn. I probably will try to do that in a spot or two over the next couple of weeks. Uh, Horn has 30, 35 uh, targets. We talked about the top 12. They have 40. So, you know, he's right behind kind of those kind of uh, numbers. 27 catches on the year, 242 yards, two touchdowns. So kind of similar production to uh, Caleb Hood over the past couple of weeks there. Um, so if you can't get Weaver, I think Horn Horn's pretty uh, inexpensive and um, is a really interesting guy there. And then Sam Brown at Houston is a guy that I've been on uh, for a lot of this season so far. Matthew Golden has the most targets, and he's probably the more NFL-focused uh, uh, kind of guy. But Brown uh, actually has caught more passes and has more receiving yards. He just has no touchdowns so far, and Golden has four. So that's really what's separating them from a fantasy perspective. Uh, I expect that um, that 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 gap to kind of close uh golden has four touchdowns brown has none so um i think i think uh expect some some uh big weeks out of brown here moving forward as well and brown obviously not as expensive as golden all right really the I, i'm not going to talk game of the week this week either but it was florida state clemson and really i just uh do a little bit of patting on the back for our uh, uh read on will shipley trey benson for this year neither of whom were particularly great in that game while the Shipley was certainly better than Benson. Um, and I think, um, I think we were kind of correct on their um, draft cap perceived draft capital um, moving forward. Um, so that's all that, that we really need to talk about there. But I do, I did try to do a, what was essentially supposed to be a surface level dive into who's the QB three in 2024, uh, which then turned into uh, section 789 of this, uh, where I write, I try to cover basically each kind of prospect that I think is getting some buzz for QB3. And I think in a lot of those cases, that means day one, but not always. Um, kind of giving my thoughts. I've been, I've been playing around with how I think of quarterbacks from like a uh, data perspective. And I'm not a data guy at all. Like you guys know that. Like I, if, if I'm looking at data, I'm looking at more like some more simplified things, like the year one zero theory, which doesn't require me to run, you know, some sort of you know reverse engineered model that, like, I don't even know what I'm talking about. Like, so I, I don't go that direction. But I have just kind of been thinking, like, when I'm watching a quarterback, what things do I like, and where, what are the, what's the data out there that would kind of uh, present a unbiased uh, view of all these quarterbacks and kind of give me uh, at the end of the day, like a baseline kind of, you know, Oh, this, this guy, you know, the numbers say that, that I, that I'm valuing say, say this guy could be interesting. Let's, let's go take a look. So um, at the, the, really what I'm, 
I don't know how much I want to necessarily dive into it, but basically I'm looking at things like athleticism for quarterbacks. I'm looking at accuracy. I'm looking at how aggressive of a passer somebody is. Um, uh, and then kind of like awareness as well. I'm like, I'm like, I'm trying to get everything to start with an A. So that's, that's where we're going with this, like the three or four A's awareness, kind of like pocket presence, things like that. Um, how do you quantify that? So um, I, I kind of dove into each quarterback here. I kind of presented um, basically just the, you know, the stats. And I did say, you know, at times, you know, I think the the tape backs this up. Maybe the tape doesn't back this up. Um, and I probably will do some sort of fun, deeper dive for you guys at a later time. Just uh, once I, I kind of have a firmer hold on this with all the numbers and data presented. So you guys can kind of look at it as well. But here's here's what I did. Essentially, I broke it down into three categories. The first one, uh, the pedigree guys, guys that you know were were borderline five star types. Uh, the second one is kind of the experienced guys, guys that are that fifth, sixth uh, year in college that have been around seemingly forever. Uh, and then kind of like other, you know, just just players that don't necessarily fit either of those, but have been getting a little bit of hype this year as well. So start with the uh, pedigree guys. Um, and again, I'm not Caleb Williams, Drake may like, we're just, we're assuming for right now, those guys are one and two. I'm not even going to talk about them here. Start the article actually with Quinn Ewers, uh, numbers suggest more efficient this year, more consistent this year, uh, completion, like even like basic things like completion percentage yards per attempt, turnover worthy play percentage, pass EPA per play QBR all, uh, risen to, uh, I don't even want to call it acceptable levels because they've gone beyond acceptable. Like they're probably even like beyond good like they're they are in pretty solid uh ranges overall some of that data comes from uh pff and then stuff like epa per play and qbr you can find on the campus to Canton website i usually <clears throat> will just go into the you can see it all on like the player plots tool but if you want to kind of break out more of the data and just look at like the actual raw numbers if you go to the player data table tool you can uh, add add or subtract a bunch of columns. You can um, spe specify down to specific players, specific metrics, however you want to do it. Um, and that, that's kind of where I like to go sometimes to compare and look at some of these guys. So uh, I think my uh, read on yours for this year, who I've watched a lot of, he's playing within the offense better. He's not forcing downfield shots when they aren't there. He's playing really well in short and intermediate game when he's asked to throw in rhythm. I think sometimes he does struggle if you push him beyond second read, it seems like. I think if you make him hold the ball a little bit longer, he gets a little antsy, uh, maybe uh, starts making some bad decisions. And he's not great at, well, actually, he's, he's quite frankly really bad at allowing pressures to become sacks, which is not a great sign. That speaks a little bit to maybe lack of athleticism, lack of um, you know mental side of, of the game. Uh, JJ McCarthy is in here and a guy that I've not, uh, traditionally been very high on, but I think of this group, he probably has as of today, the best chance to be the quarterback three, uh, of like this, the, the pedigree guys, uh, relatively aggressive as a passer, which you like to see He pushes the ball downfield quite a bit. Although he has not always been a good decision maker with that in the past, he's been much better with it this year. Uh, really outside of that Bowling Green game, he's been excellent at putting, or keeping the ball out of harm's way. Uh, bad competition, so he's tough to get a real read on. Still, Michigan's one of the few teams that like really just hasn't played anybody yet. So give him another game or two, and then McCarthy's guy that I want to go back and look at again. Uh, I almost didn't include him in here, but I knew I would get yelled at. 
by Matt if I didn't. So Kyle McCord. Um, McCord has been really bad against Power 5 opposition this year. He's completing 57% of his passes, uh, no touchdowns and a single interception, under 250 yards passing per game uh, against Power 5 teams. And you know, I consider Notre Dame a Power 5 team. I give it they're an independent, but whatever. Uh, he, uh, I test, uh, he's reading the field extremely slowly. Um, but he is avoiding sacks at basically the best rate in the country. And he is working downfield at a pretty high clip as well. So good, good passy pre passy paper play, good QBR. He's very much an enigma for me this early in the season. I don't know if it's just because I don't have multiple years of data to really look at for him, but like, I watch him and then I go and look at the numbers and I'm like, I don't even know what kind of a player he is. He's a zero as a rusher. Functional athleticism is just not there. I think the arm is good, but not amazing. He's not losing them games. So, I, you know, if he kind of puts it all together, then um, I think that's a really good sign. So uh, McCord will be at the bottom of this list for me. The other guy in this, this grouping that I did include is Spencer Rattler. And I think the big thing for Rattler this year is just he's just not making really stupid mistakes. And more specifically over the middle of the field, uh, especially uh, being late on plays, which is kind of where got him burned uh, pretty bad over the past couple of years, playing a little bit of hero ball. Um, but he he's he's doing that much better this year. Um, he still got the tools. I think his athleticism is pretty darn good. This year is actually from a data perspective, very similar to that 2020 season where like as the year got on, everyone was like, this, he's getting better. Like he's, he's looking really, really good. This year is really, really close uh, from an underlying data perspective to it. So I think that's a promising sign. Um, and I did, I wrote this sentence in here and I thought, I, I, I thought about it for a long time. And I said, is this true? Do I want to include this in here? But I, th I think it is. I wrote, in my opinion, Rattler actually has the best feel for the quarterback position of any 2024 quarterback prospect not named Williams or May. I I don't regret writing that line. I think if you watch him in the pocket, he's got really good pocket presence. I think he I think he reads defense is fine. I think he just gets in situations where he feels like he needs to make a play, he needs to make something happen. And his arm is so strong that he thinks he can do that. But it seems like he's learning that he can't. I think that's a really good sign. Like for some of these big armed guys, that's what needs to happen for him. Now I'm not, I'm not going to bang the drum for him as a first round quarterback. I'm not, I think we've seen enough bad in there that it won't happen, but we've also seen NFL teams make worse decisions. And I don't know that he's any worse than Will Levis. I get why Will Levis, he had some more rushing upside than Rattler does, where he is, I think at best you would consider him as maybe like a scrambler as a mover. Not bad, but he, he's not going to run for, you know, a couple hundred yards every year. But I think from what I've seen from him this year, I've watched, I've watched about a game and a half. And then again, you know, kind of looked at some of the numbers that I'm interested in. Um, I, I'm, I'm impressed. He's trusting receivers more. Um, staying on time on, on, on kind of over the middle of the field. So Rattler, a guy that I think has piqued my interest. If I, I didn't go through and rank these guys, but he might be, you know, in terms of guys in play for the, the QB three, third, fourth, somewhere in that range. Uh, and I don't think that's uh, ridiculous just based on some of the other guys. Um, going to the experienced grouping here, I look at Penix Jr., I look at Bo Nix, I look at Jordan Travis, Sam Hartman, and Jaden Daniels. There's a lot of these guys that have been around kind of forever, 
taking advantage of that bonus COVID year, um, which isn't necessarily a red flag in itself, um, especially a quarterback. Uh, you can talk about, you know, this guy's old, but I also think quarterback, uh, if they end up hitting, have a longer on average shelf life. So that's not a huge concern. And I don't think NFL teams are that concerned about it either. Overall, it might be a convenient excuse if they don't like a guy, but I, we just saw, we've seen Burrow, we've seen Pickett. Um, I'm trying to think some other, we've, we've seen some guys that have, that have been around a long time. I don't even want to go back to the Brandon Whedon days, but we've seen some guys who have had long college careers and then the NFL likes it. And like I said, call them experienced. Don't call them old. Um, you know, that, that's what some of these guys have. Penix, he's on pace for over 5,000 yards a season. The offense has been amazing. They've probably looked like, if not the best team in college football, certainly a top three or five squad. Um, I think he also, of all these guys, probably outside of maybe Kyle McCord on this whole list, has the best set of weapons. And it's probably pretty close, actually. So, um, you know, I, I think you do have to think about that a little bit. Um, I started off talking about him with kind of the bad part of him, which is without Kalen DeBoer, he's a sub 55% passer. Um, and that's a little bit concerning because DeBoer's offense is not really super pro style. Um, so it's it's more pro style. Like it is kind of similar conceptually to what Josh Heupel runs at Tennessee, but it is, um, it requires like you know, uh, more reads of the field, um, not quite as, um, uh, gimmicky with the wide receiver alignment and kind of what you're doing with those guys. Uh, so I do think it's a little more translatable, but I still uh, could be some questions there for NFL franchises. And then the injury history. I think those are kind of the three big things when you look at Penix that you have, you, you can't ignore them. But I also think the opposite side is that he has been incredibly productive when he's been healthy. His kind of underlying stuff like the, the pass EPA per play QBR, they're, Almost best in the country. Uh, they're really, really, really close in both categories. His ADOT is over 12 yards downfield. So he is forcing the ball down. I don't want to say forcing. He's putting the ball downfield at a pretty good clip. He's fourth in the country at keeping pressures from turning into sacks. So he is. He has always been a fairly mobile guy. He's not a runner, but he is mobile. Um, so as long as he's avoiding kind of hits, you know, maybe the injury concerns aren't terribly important. So we'll see. But I think um, if I had to pick a guy from this group, it would be Penix. And I think overall, when I get to the end, my conclusion was it's either McCarthy, Penix, or Pratt at this moment in time. So and, uh, we'll get to Pratt here in a minute. Uh, that ends up being QB3. Uh, Bo Nix. Um, tape, I've never been a huge Bo Nix guy. Even last year, I thought um, what he was doing was more scheme-related. And then you could go and look at some of the numbers. And I, I think that agrees. Nix is a rushing threat which I, I do think will kind of potentially help him make an NFL team. Um, he's rushed for over 500 yards in three of his four college football seasons. That's usually a translatable uh, type stats. But pocket presence and ability of, to avoid sacks are actually really, really bad. He allows almost 25% of pressures to turn into sacks, which is bottom 35 in the country. So for like, you know, qualifying quarterbacks that have, that have played more than, you know, a handful of snaps. So that tells me that Nick's... Um, He's athletic, but he doesn't necessarily have all of the mental parts of the game down where when he's in the pocket, um, he he can kind of feel pressure uh, and work that way. Uh, Nick's as a passer has cut down on turnovers. He, he made some really, really bad ones at Auburn. Um, and this year is his best year for that. But his ADOT this year is 5.8. And last year it was seven something. 
So they're basically just asking him to dink and dunk. And in tough situations, he can scramble and pick up yards on the ground. So I, th I think that's really, really concerning with him. Um, his ADOT was a little bit higher at Auburn. Um, but he also was completing like fewer than 60% of his passes there. So, you know, he's, I think if you look at just the totality of what Bo Nix has done, it's not very good or impressive. I mean, it's not, he's a good college quarterback, but I think I call him a poor man, Sam Howe in the article. And that feels right to me at this stage. Uh, Jordan Travis, um, he's been around, I think longer than people think he, I don't know that his arm is like NFL quality. Like it's not bad, but it's not huge either. You never really see him make kind of that, you know, opposite field, you know, 10, 15, 20 yard out. Um, you don't really see him kind of throw some of those whole shots. Like he, his bread and butter is either a kind of uh, in rhythm to um, uh, Wilson or Jaheim Bell or, holding the ball a little bit longer, uh, wait for uh, somebody to kind of, uh, you know, a defensive breakdown and then go deep on a 50-50, 60-40 type ball. And that's, those are not, I'm not saying those are necessarily bad things, but we're talking about translating to the NFL. How um, translatable is it? I don't think it is very translatable. So um, not been very accurate throughout his career, been one of the least accurate guys on a year-to-year -year basis. Um, so that that's not great as well. But he does have the rushing upside. Uh, consistent 500 plus yard guy. Uh, does a better job avoiding sacks than Daniels, Nicks, and Penn, or Daniels and Nicks do. So I think that's really, really good. Um, so you know, I think he's he's a he's a smart player, and I think he could have a oh, man. I don't know. Like he could be like a Tyler Huntley kind of guy. That's Pro Bowl or Tyler Huntley to you, but a guy that kind of goes in a team with a rushing quarterback once another rushing quarterback is the backup, just they don't have to totally throw out the playbook. Um, so, you know, send him in the fourth round to Baltimore or Indianapolis needs a backup or, um, you know, kind of insert uh, other uh, more mobile quarterback team here. I think you could go to one of those places and develop and sit. And if you need an emergency start out of him he could potentially do that for you but uh day one i i don't even think i would take him day two um maybe like early day three is kind of the range that i'm looking at for him sam hartman is basically the opposite of all these guys is that he's been very prolific up as a passer but doesn't rush or isn't quite as effective on the ground he does have two seasons over 400 yards and another and another over 300 not quite as good at avoiding sacks as some of these guys are um he's not as comfortable outside of structure steady backup kind of guy uh i have a hard time necessarily trusting in his uh his true a dot numbers because that long mesh at wake forest had him, had him at 12.8 12.7 a dot the past two years this year it's around 10 that's probably closer to what he actually wants to do um so not not bad double digits that's that's fairly aggressive um but uh yeah i think uh, overall his he doesn't make a lot of really boneheaded mistakes. He avoids turnovers pretty well. Um, so overall, I think, you know, career backup could see him having a really nice journeyman type career. Jaden Daniels, I think is the, I think is the worst of this group, quite frankly, um, but also has the highest rushing upside. He does, uh, if you take out sacks, have a thousand yard rush season last year. He also has an 800 yard 
uh, rush season. So uh, overall has been uh, fairly uh, uh, mobile overall. Um, I, I like, I think he's, I'm trying to look at this stuff. Like he's just not good at keeping pressures from turning into sacks. He, he doesn't have great pocket presence. Um, mediocre dot pass EP, EPA per play has steadily improved, but is still not great. Uh, another guy that I don't see a lot of make a lot of NFL level throws. I think this is like a mid day three kind of quarterback. Um, and then the rest of the guys I wrote, I think the most of anybody that I wrote about here, Shador, who is, falls into this category. And I think it was fair to be critical or I guess skeptical is probably the better word uh, coming into the year because he was coming up from the FCS level and he wasn't playing great competition there. I think probably worse than Lance and Wentz uh, did. And I think probably worse than Jimmy Garoppolo did too. Um, just the, the, the swag is not terribly competitive for football. So it, it does send some guys to the NFL. Like, don't get me wrong. There, there are guys that come out of there. Um, but it's, it's pretty low level competition. So I think, you know, we're talking, talking about Sanders, you have to talk about this offense. It's Sean Lewis. It's the run and shoot. It emphasizes pace motion and generally focuses on the short and intermediate game. Um, and then they kind of do that because they want to keep the tempo moving, tire defenses out. Um, uh, and that's, that's what Colorado has done this year. Um, and I think Sanders is not only kind of the perfect brand of quarterback to, uh, run this offense, but I think he's basically done, uh, exactly that this year. Um, Sanders has an eight out of 8.8, which is outside the top 100 qualifying quarterbacks in the country. He's also attempted the fifth most passes in the country. So statistically been fairly uh, productive from just like raw stats. Um, and he has been extremely accurate this year. I, I will definitely give him that and was uh, very accurate at uh, Jackson State as well. So I think, you know, I don't think anyone uh, at this point can doubt uh, some of those kind of characteristics. But I think if you're looking beyond scheme, uh, he's allowing almost 33% of quarterback pressures to turn into sacks, which is almost worst in the country. It's really bad. And I think he's not athletic enough to maneuver a ton consistently. And I think he has very low uh, pocket presence. I think it's definitely below average. There are a lot of sacks that he takes where he does not feel the pressure coming, does not step up in the pocket correctly. So he's, he's kind of struggled uh, in some of those regards. Um, his QBR is actually way lower than anybody else that I talked about in this article by like, I believe 15 points. And it only goes to 100, so um, tells you what you need to know there. He's only completed 38.5% of his deep passes, which is uh, below average and is, again, lowest in this group. So he's been extremely successful on the short stuff, but if you ask him to work out a structure or go deep um, or evade pressure, he's just not very good at it at all. So I think those things really ding him as a prospect. I, I can't vouch for him going day one. Um, and people can say whatever they want about being skeptical of him um, or, or the Colorado experience. But I, I just, I can't quite buy it at this stage. And the schedule is definitely not getting any easier. They, they looked like, you know, kind of what we expected uh, all season uh, against Oregon. So um, I, I think it'd be interesting to see what happens uh, with him. 
I do highlight Riley Leonard a little bit. There's not that much to write about Riley Leonard, quite frankly. He His profile is kind of weird. He's not an aggressive passer. Uh, he's lowest in the group in things like big-time throws. He's got a very low A dot. Uh, he's accurate enough. He has really good pocket presence. Only 5% of his pressures become sacks, which is top 10 in the country. Uh, his QBR and pass EPA per play are fine. Uh, he's on pace for his second consecutive 500 plus yard rushing season. So the running profile is really strong and the passing profile like is almost just like incomplete. Um, it doesn't really match with the rushing side of his game. Could be a little bit of scheme, um, such because I think as Chris Moxley highlighted this past off season uh, of guys that have worked in this offense, he has like by far the lowest like a dot and worst completion percentage deep. So I, I do think it could be a him issue. I'm I'm not really in on the Riley Leonard NFL stuff. I think um, it's been a he's going to be a good quarterback there at, at uh, Duke, uh, and maybe he transfers up somewhere for a, a nice run next year. But not seeing it from the NFL. And then um, Pratt, who I mentioned earlier, is probably one of the guys that I would pick to be the quarterback three. Um, he has one season over 500 plus rush yards and has two more over 300. So he's a pretty solid rusher. He's consistently finished middle of the pack in sack avoidance. He passes the eye test, in my opinion, too, when it comes to pocket presence. I think he's got a pretty good feel there. He's one of the more aggressive passers in the class with an dot over 11 uh, this year, and he's uh, been over 10 in the past as well. He's completed about 65% of his passes over the past two years. Um, he's cut way down on interceptions during those two years. He's cut down on turnover-worthy plays. And I think, importantly, he's done well in kind of those marquee matchups. He's been really, really good can point at that uh, USC game specifically uh, as a game where he uh, kind of carried them against a, a bigger and better quote unquote opponent. So um, I like Pratt's profile a lot. I think he could definitely be the QB three uh, depending on how he does rest of season. And then the last guy I did write about Austin Reed a little bit um, because I think he's kind of like Sanders where you need to separate him from the scheme. Completed or he attempted 600 passes last year. He's on pace for you know 550 or something again this year. Um, it's a low A dot passing attack, so he has you know poor numbers there. But if you look to his first couple years at West Florida, his his A dot is 13.6 in 2019 and 18.4 in 2021. Low volume, but um, so he he does he's capable of pushing the ball downfield. He's a little bit of a gunslinger, I think. Um, does not do well in metrics like QBR and EPA per play. Uh, did have 300 rush yards last year and obviously good size, really nice arm. So if you, I, I think he's kind of a long-term developmental play that could uh, end up being uh, decent in the uh, NFL if he uh, goes to the right team and, and kind of develops like in a perfect scenario. So you know, how often does that happen? Not very often, but interesting guy there. All right, so that's going to do it for this week. Uh, key takeaways, guys. Again, thank you guys for tuning into this show and for all the shows here across the Collective Podcast feed and for really all your support everywhere. We do appreciate it. I'll be back next week looking at week five. Uh, enjoy the rest of your week.